Hello, and welcome to the Crossway Christian Church Podcast. We are a church who wants to practice the way of Jesus together. If we can help you in any way, let us know. And be sure to check out our website at crosswaycc.org. Now let's get back to the podcast. Roy Wetstein loves rocks. Mm. Let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. No, so that's true, though. Roy Wetstein loves rocks. And he would go to rock conventions periodically, week-long, seven-day rock conventions, and dig through rocks and find something that he wanted to take home. A seven-day rock convention. Sounds like a barrel of monkeys, I tell you what. But he loved rocks so much, he even got his two sons interested and passionate about rocks. So there was, a, there was a rock convention a couple towns away that he was thinking about going to, and he wasn't sure. But, you know, he wanted to go visit his dad, who was elderly and had failing health, you know, and he, in, in that same general vicinity. And so he's like, you know what, I'm going to go visit my dad, I'm going to go to this rock convention, and well, I'll make a trip out of it. Before he left, his two sons pooled their money together and gave him $10, and they said, Dad, when you go to the rock convention, buy us a rock and we'll share it. Now, none of this story makes sense to me because I can't get my kids to share anything, let alone a rock. But that's what they said. And so off Roy went to visit his father and to the rock convention. And armed with the $10 to buy a rock his sons would share. Now he had been to these things before. He knew how they worked. So he walked up to a, 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 a big bin that said, any rock, $15. And he knew that he could probably talk that guy down to $10. So he's digging through the rocks. He's moving them and picking them up and looking at them. And he gets to one on the bottom. It's a, it's a rock about the size of a small potato. And he picks it up, and he said, this rock is $15. And the man uh, uh, behind the table said, all right, fine, I'll give it to you for 10 In that moment, Roy Wetstein purchased the largest sapphire this world has ever seen for $10. Now, it was uncut and unpolished, and the, and the coloring made it to, to people, even who liked rocks, not think that it was something valuable. But he knew immediately when he saw it what it was. So that day, he bought the largest sapphire this world has ever seen for $10. And it's valued now somewhere between millions of dollars and tens of thousands of dollars, depending on who's, who's, whose estimation you're using. But either way, that's no small potatoes. Dave Ripper's rubbing off on me. Sorry, I'll, we'll move along. Anyway, so or, there's a story, the story of uh, Terry Horton, who she, she uh, was at a garage sale, and she purchased this large painting, this seven-foot by ten-foot painting that she thought was so ugly. And she, she was going to bring it to a friend of hers house who loves art. And so she goes through and she grabs this painting, seven-foot by ten-foot painting. You can Google her and see the painting. And she straps it down the pickup truck, and she's going down the highway in Texas to her friend's house with this giant painting strapped in the back of her truck. She brings the painting to her friend's house, and her friend's like, Terry, I think this is a Jackson Pollock. And Terry's like, who is Jackson Pollock, right? Come to find out, that's a $50 million painting she just purchased. Can you imagine seeing a $50 million painting strapped to the back of a pickup truck tearing down the highway in Texas? But Roy had, and what Terry's friend had, is a vision to see what was available. Like they could see what was there that other people could not. Whether it's a $10 rock at a rock convention, surrounded by people who loved rocks, 
or a giant painting at a garage sale, most of the people couldn't see it, but a few people had the vision for what was available to them. Now we're in this series called Resilient, which is a look at the book of Ephesians. And two weeks ago, Dave Ripper talked about this word axios, which means worthy. And it's the center point both of the book, literally, and the content of the book. You know, it's walk worthy, walk axios, and everything else hinges on that word. And the first half of the book just talks about who you are in Christ. And the last half tells you now that you know who you are, now walk worthy, axios of that. Last week, Dave Smith walked us through his passage in the middle part of Ephesians 1. And he said that God chose us to live a life. And he chose this life for us and he chose us for it. And he said over and over that God is for us. He is for us. He is for us. You know, I have Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And the last portion of my passage says this. It says that you may know the hope to which he has called you to. And and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. And this idea of this hope that he calls us to live with. And then when he talks about, he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Some biblical experts say that 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 is that he gives in us and through us the Holy Spirit, and that is the glorious inheritance. And some biblical experts will say that the glorious inheritance is, uh, is us, is that when, Jesus, when an inheritance is when someone passes away and they leave their earthly possessions, their most prized possessions to the people they love, he's saying that when Jesus died on the cross, we became his most prized possession. And to these two like, interpretations of this, I would say yes and amen. I would say they are both true and biblical. And so this passage, he's saying to walk with hope and knowing that you are God's inheritance and to walk and living with this incomparable power. And I would ask you, is that what your days feel like? Right now, in your seat, in your living room, does it feel like you're walking with incomparable power? Is your life marked by this hope? Do you feel day in and day out That God loves you and cares for you so much, is so invested in you that you are his great inheritance. And if not, why not? I mean, he's promising here these things are available to you. Is that what our last day and week and couple months feels like? Does it feel powerful? Does it feel like it has this unbridled hope to it? Uh, Maybe for some moments and other moments less so. But this is what he's saying. You know, like Roy, like Terry, who had a vision for what's available, he's saying this is what's available to you, whether you see it or not. And before this, that's, that he gives us a vision for that, those things. But before that, in the passage, he kind of works through, all right, how do we see these things? How do we weave these things into our life? And so that's the end of the passage. Let's go back up to the beginning now. In verse 15, it says, These two verses, 15 and 16, I love them. They're like a pastoral heart to me. See, Paul is this this guy who started this church in Ephesus, and he went off to start other churches, and along the way, he was arrested. And as he's writing this, Paul is in house arrest. Paul is in his house, and he can't leave his house. Who does that sound like? 
Uh, right. So I'm sure you're seeing the connection here. And so he's in his house and he's writing letters to these churches to encourage them that he's previously started in his ministry. And in verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, this to me feels like a pastoral heart because when, you, when, you know, when you're leading a church or when you're leading people, when God is, is giving you the awesome responsibility of calling you to lead people, when they, as this says, love him and love others, you're just so unbelievably proud. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's why I do what I do. And when you see someone from your church who loving, loving him and loving others well, you're just, it just it boils up and bubbles up over the, you know, and it's, it's, just, so, it's just so compelling. And, and you're like, this is why I do what I do. I'm so happy. I'm so proud. And so he's, he's saying this to his church. He's like, I'm so proud of you. I remember one time I walked up to my son. I was like, Man, don't you know how proud of you I am? He looked around and he was like, why? What did I do? It's not what you did, it's who you are, man. You are kind. You're funny without being cutting, right? You're clever. It's not what you did, it's who you are. I'm so proud of you. In this moment, Paul's saying, I'm just so proud of you for the people that you are. And he switches then from like a, a pastoral heart to a coach's heart. He says, you're doing this right and this right. Now add, keep these things going and add this. You know, he, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I've coached lots of youth sports in my day, you know, basketball and soccer mostly, you know, and, and little kids up to like teenagers and travel basketball. I've, I've kind of coached it all. And at some points you're like, all right, guys, we got the ball in bounds. Now let's get the ball across half court. And we did this. Keep this up. The ball's in bounds. Now dribble the ball. Don't run with it. Across half court. That's our next growth step, right? It's like, it's like you've done this. Now keep doing, keep doing this and add this. It's what he's doing. He's saying you love people. You love God. Now add this spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I've been on staff here for almost three months. And this is a church that I, I have witnessed full of people who love God and love others. I'm proud to be part of the Crossway family. And so just like Paul is saying this at Church of Ephesus, I think this is, a, this is a great prayer for us here. We love God and we love people. Let's keep that up. Can we add a spirit of wisdom and revelation? Now the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the wisdom here, wisdom is knowledge with understanding. It's not just knowing things, it's knowing how to apply that to our life. Which is why the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because you can know who God is, but until you apply that to your life, until that changes the way you live, right? It's not, it's not just, it's knowledge, but it's not understanding. And so acknowledging who God is in, in your life is knowledge with understanding. That's the beginning of wisdom. But the second word here, which is word revelation, which is one that we, it's probably not as common a word that we use, but the word revelation means to reveal, as if to pull back the curtain from, as if there's a statue behind me, I pull down the sheet and you can see what is there, what's always been present. And when I pull the sheet down on the statue, I'm not making the statue what it is, I am just revealing what has been under the sheet the whole time. And so what he says is, may the glorious Father, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
This idea of revelation, you've probably seen something like this before. Like maybe you've seen the show Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they, and they come into a house, and they fix it all up, and they do something really clever. Like it's the same thing that they used to do on My Extreme Home Makeover, where they'd say, move that bus! But on this show, what they do is they have the picture of the old house, the way it was before, and behind this house, there's the new thing. And they pull back this house-sized printout of what it used to look like, and there's this revelatory moment, and they reveal what is present, but they couldn't see before. They let them see what has been all what was in front of them the whole time. This idea of this 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 uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's saying God has been around you all the time. He's moving like 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 Father Dave said last week. He is for us. He is for us. He's been for us the whole time. And there are moments when we notice that. And there are moments he's for us and we don't notice that. And what he's praying for these people is that they would see it when God is moving on their behalf. I remember one time, my wife and I, a team of people, we planted a church in Lowell, Massachusetts. And this church, you know, all church plants have challenges, but this one... We, we had pretty good funding for the church, and so we, there wasn't a lot of times when we weren't sure where the funding would come from. But there was this one moment when we weren't sure where the finances would come for the church. And it wasn't like we're going to close the doors down, but it was going to be a little tight, a little tense. And so I, I was talking to the team about that one day. And the very next day, in the mail, we got a check for $10,000. The very next day. From a single mother, no less, with three kids. I don't know how... She had that much money to give. I don't know why she was so inspired to give it to us in that moment. But I know that it came at the exact moment that something like that had to happen. Like it was this moment that God showed up, that he moved us. You could tell he was for us in this big and powerful way. And I tell that story because when those types of things happen, everyone knows God has showed up for them. And those things happen periodically in all of our lives. But it was the only time that God is moving on our behalf? Absolutely not. And what he's saying is he's he's saying, give us the spirit of revealing, of knowing when God is moving on our behalf. Even in moments we might have breezed right past it and not thought about it. See God moving. Give us the spirit of being able to know when God is moving on our behalf. We keep going. It says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope his glorious inheritance, and the incomparably great power. He says, in this phrase, the eyes of your heart be enlightened, it's the only time this phrase appears anywhere in the Bible. And, and, and out of you guys know this, but in your eyes there are rods and cones, and these rods and cones, they take light in, and, and, and the, the light bounces around off of these things, and, and this is how your eye translates light into what we see. And if someone is colorblind, their rods and cones don't function, or maybe they don't have as many rods as cones as other people. There's, there's all different reasons. I am colorblind. When I tell people that, they're always like, oh, you're colorblind? That's so weird. What color is my shirt? And I'm like, well, I just told you I'm colorblind, so clearly your shirt is jerk-colored, right? Like, why would you say that to me? Uh, that's really mean and non-kind, so it's the color of jerks. That's what color your shirt is. No, no, no. But anyway, so like, but when you uh, are colorblind, you can take a test. And so one time, some friends of mine were like, hey, Jake, what kind of colorblind are you? Can you take this test? And so I was, I, I was taking this test, and when you... When you uh, when you are taking a colorblind test, you'll see like a box of dots. 
And in the box of dots, there'll be other dots that are different color. And if you can't see what's in the dots, then you're colorblind. And if you can, then you know that you're not. And so, for instance, in this box of dots, you'll see the 37. Like there's a three right here and a seven. And if you can't see that, you're colorblind. I'm just kidding. These dots are all the same color. Move along. Next slide. So, <laughs> so this is actually a colorblind test. And so this pick, these six different uh, circles of dots have numbers in them. And if you can see the number, you are not colorblind. And if you can't, you are. And so I was going through this test and I was looking at these types of things. I can see two of these, by the way. I can see the eight and I can see the 32. That's a 16, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so I, I can, but I, the true, true story is I can only see two of these. And so I was taking this test and just like this, we can leave this here. And I was looking at this one and this one and this one and this one. And the test comes back and it says, you are an extreme dutan. I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. Well, I didn't know it was my, my, my good friends, John and Elise. They were buying me colorblind sunglasses. They, it wasn't just, oh, let's be curious. I was on a website that sells colorblind glasses. And you're going to see a picture of me with those glasses on right now. This is also a picture of me seeing the color orange for the first time. That's true. You know, I, I wasn't emotional then, but seeing this picture now, it's a little emotional for me because this was the first time in my life I saw the color orange. I could have told you about orange before this moment. You know, orange is secondary color made up of the primary colors, red and yellow. That's true. But I had never experienced orange. I could have told you orange is a vibrant color. But a couple days later, I had these sunglasses on and I pulled into a grocery store parking lot and all of the light poles had orange bases to it. And I was like, oh, they paint the bases orange so you don't run your car into it. I never knew that before. That makes so much sense. Orange is vibrant. And, and people are like, uh, yeah. Like, I didn't know that. I had never experienced orange before. What you may not have picked up in this passage is that in both in verses 17 and in 18, it says the word no, K-N-O-W. And the two phrases in, in, this, in this passage, it's, the first one is that you may know him better. And the second phrase is this phrase that it says, right, you'll see it here, in order that you may know, you know, it goes on to hope and that you are his inheritance and the power you can live with. And when it says no and no, you're like, oh, okay, that's no. But actually in the original language, the people at the church at Ephesus had different words that have since been translated into English, no and no. And these words, you're gonna see them here in the screen now. So that you may epigenose him better in order that you may idene hope that you are his inheritance, the power you can live with. And this first word, epigenose, it's this, it's this no, it's this experience. As in, I know something because I've experienced it. I experienced orange on that balloon. The second word, idene, is this word no, like head knowledge. I know orange is yellow and red. This first one is that you may experience him better. The idea of experiencing God firsthand, that you, you, when he moves on your behalf, you have the eyes to see it and you experience that. The second no is order that you may know. He's saying no, that you can live with this unbridled hope. No, believe 
that you are his inheritance. Know that when you wake up in the morning, you wake up with power, incomparable power. He goes on after this to talk about what this power can accomplish. It has power over death. It raised him from the dead. It's, it's above all else. But, but what he's saying here is he's saying, if you want to experience him in your day-to-day life, which is what he wants for these people, first you have to know these things. If there are moments in your life when you're not experiencing God, Fall back on what you know. Let what you hold on steadfastly to what you know and allow that to carry you into experiencing him. So I ask you again what I asked you before. Does your life feel marked by hope? Do you live with this knowledge that you are God's glorious inheritance? Does life feel powerful for you? See, this part, this know, is believe it. Know it in your head. Believe it. Hold on to it when it's easy and when it's not. When life is hard, when life is challenging, when you don't really want to go on, when you feel anxious and overwhelmed, hold on to this. And if you do, you'll experience him in those moments. It's know these things to experience him here. And I'd be, I would be remiss if I tried to tell you that you can live in this experience all the time. Like I was talking through this sermon the other day with the Daves, Dave Ripper and Dave Smith, and they were fixing lots of problems it had. And, and, and I was just talking about this and, and we're talking through it and I was getting feedback. And, and then one of them was like, well, you can't live in this place all the time. You're not just going to wake up powerful every day. I was like, no, that's obviously not the case. You're, like, you're, you're choosing this. You're, you have to hold on to this even when it doesn't feel like it. I was like, well, well, say that. Invite people into that. Invite people into the real, real of this. I was like, you know what, guys? I was, I was talking to Dave and Dave. I was like, yesterday, Dave Smith, we were on this Zoom call between services and it was the first time since this pandemic happened that my energy was low and I couldn't get it up. I just, I just, I just could not get my energy, my requisite energy I needed for the moment. And I, I, I don't know why. I, we were in a prayer call at 8.15 and I, I, I didn't even pray. I just, my tank was empty. And then we got in this Zoom call and Dave, you carried the moment. And, and without you, and I don't know what we would have done. At one point you're like, do you want to split up? I was like, no, you, we'll just stay with you. And I was like, Dave, you, you carried that moment masterfully. You asked people questions, you know, what God's showing them, what are they reading, how are they experiencing God in this season? My tank was empty, my guy. Like, you carried that moment. And he was, his response was so funny. He was like, well, those questions I was asking, you gave them to me when this whole thing happened. Like, when there's an awkward moment, ask these questions. I was like, I completely forgot that. You're so, <laughs> it's true. That's, that's, that's actual. Like, I was so amazed by these questions and and it was in this moment where this is not how I felt. Does that mean God was not present with me? Absolutely not. He was very present with me. But I was forgetting to hold on steadfastly to these things. And so my experience was waning. And so what I love about this passage is he says, hold on to these things, choose these things, know these things so you can experience God in this way. He assumes there's going to be moments in your life when this doesn't feel like how, you know, you don't feel this way. 
If it was just experience, experience, experience. There'd be some people who experience this and others who don't. And there'd be a spiritual haves and a spiritual have nots. But what he's saying here is he's saying there'll be moments when it's hard. Know these things. Fall back on things. Believe these things. And allow that, even in those moments when you don't feel like it, to lead you into that moment of experiencing God. So this passage, he says, you love God and you love people. Keep doing that. What I want you to do is experience God that you may know him better. But to do that, you have to know who you are in him. That you can have hope, that you are his glorious inheritance, and that you wake up with the power he gives you. Crossway. Tomorrow when you wake up, know those things.